0: May the love of God the Father fill you with wonder. May the sacrifice of God the Son fill you with gratitude and confidence. May the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit fill you with faith, hope, and love. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, based on your reading of God's Word, how would you describe Jesus the man, Jesus the human being? In other words, if you could pick one word, what word would you choose to encapsulate Jesus the man? Most would pick an adjective, I would guess. And there are many, of course, that would apply. Jesus was kind. He was gentle. He was considerate. He was humble. He was holy. He was perfect, all fitting, all applicable, all accurate, of course. And yet I would choose a different word, a noun, in fact. To encapsulate Jesus, the man, I would use the word strength. In fact, if we examine Jesus and we see in him anything other than strength, if we fail to recognize any of these other adjectives that we've used to describe him as based on strength, we are misunderstanding our Lord, our Savior. So that is our goal this morning. That's a simple theme we will explore on this Palm Sunday morning strength. The text that will form the basis of our study is found in Paul's letter to the Philippians the second chapter beginning there with the fifth verse. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God, graciously preserved down through the centuries and delivered to us here this morning, the very words of our God that our God would use these, His words, to give us those blessings He longs to give us. So we pray, sanctify us by Your truth, O Lord. Your word, we acknowledge, is truth. Amen. We've all often rather noticed mentioned in the past how Jesus was meticulous throughout his earthly ministry throughout his entire life he was meticulously careful about not revealing who he was in a way that his enemies could use that as evidence to condemn him until he was ready to do so he spoke in parables and he used words that communicated truth but again provided his enemies with no reason to arrest and execute him. So it is that throughout his life we we hear him referring to himself, for example, as the son of man rather than the son of God. He talked about himself as the light that was to come into the world rather than the promised Messiah. He said that if you would destroy this temple he would rebuild it in three days. And again now we understand and no doubt many of these things his disciples then understood but his enemies could not use anything that he said against him until the proper time. And The result is that his enemies were frustrated and Jesus was able to continue his ministry. So on Palm Sunday we see more of the master at work. On Palm Sunday, he purposely, for example, determined that he would ride into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, his enemies knew what was going on here because they were experts in the Old Testament, the prophecies of the Old Testament, so they were obviously familiar with the words of Zechariah the prophet. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He was just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey." So they knew. And you see the master at work and how frustrated they were because what could they do? Could they condemn a man to death for riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? Nope. You see further evidence that this was what was going on, and they knew it because Jesus refused to silence the crowds when they welcomed him into Jerusalem in royal fashion as that king that was coming. Again, what could they do? Are you going to condemn Jesus because of what others said? are you gonna put him to death because of the opinion others held about him just masterful and we recognize therefore that Jesus had work to do he came to Jerusalem on Sunday but he had work to do from Sunday through at least Thursday evening not the least of which was that establishment of the Lord's Supper Yet the fact remains that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the die was cast. It was a one-way trip, there was no going back. He knew that he went there and that he would be the last of the prophets that went to Jerusalem and what happened to the other prophets was going to be exactly what happened to him. He came knowing full well that he would die there. And Yet, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The die was cast. If you actually stop to think about it. It's interesting for a couple of reasons. It's, it's ascribed to Julius Caesar. Some of you may have heard that before he is said to have uttered the phrase in Latin of course when he crossed the Rubicon River and entered northern Italy there was a Roman law the Romans were paranoid about coups so they had enacted a law that on penalty of death no general could enter the territory of Italy with an army or with any sorts of weapons in fact historians tell us that there was a sign at this crossing of the Rubicon River that read beyond this river no flags weapons or soldiers shall pass. So when Julius Caesar crossed with his army of 50,000 the 13th Legion of Rome into Italy one of two outcomes was possible. He would be executed or he would ascend to the throne in Rome there was no going back. The die was cast and yet that word die is spelled D-I-E as in dice and that indicates that according to Julius Caesar understanding the outcome was not only unknown it was unknowable until it all played out. So I've taken this step but boy we don't know the outcome but we're committed now It doesn't really fit Palm Sunday, therefore, does it? Not really. Because with Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, there was no going back, but the outcome was absolutely known. In fact, Jesus went to Jerusalem because he knew the outcome. He knew exactly what was going to happen. In fact, his own words, it was for this cause that I came into the world. Interestingly, there's a misspelling often, a misquoting of this. Instead of die was cast, D-I-E, the misspelling is D-Y-E, the die is cast. And that's actually a more fitting expression for what's going on on Palm Sunday. In other words, if you take a handful of dye and throw it out over the water, it's going to have the effect. There's no doubt about what's going to happen. Now, you're committed. There's no going back. You can't undo it. But you know what's going to happen. So also, Jesus entered Jerusalem knowing full well. In fact, that's why he came to this earth. That's the first, and that's the main Palm Sunday strength that we want to identify in Jesus. Would any of you, knowing as Jesus did, would any of you consent to go into Jerusalem knowing not just that you're going to die, but that you're going to die in possibly the most barbaric means of execution devised by man and you're going to be punished in that way though you know you're innocent and you're going to be doing it for those you know to be guilty. Would any of you consent to that? Consider the strength it took for Jesus to, as we heard in our Old Testament lesson, set his face like flint and walk that path that God the Father had laid out for him. But we need to stop, don't we, and back up to get a full understanding of the strength that we are supposed to recognize in Jesus our Savior. Because this is the end, or toward the end, of his earthly walk, his earthly ministry. But from the very beginning, we see strength. And that's where our text takes us. Our text points first to the very start of that earthly part of Jesus, Jesus the man. Our text put it this way: "Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant being born in human likeness. Consider the strength required by Jesus to even consider setting aside the full use of the divine power that was his, that had been his from eternity. Again, ask yourself, would you do that? Would you take Power that was yours and determine that because of what you're going to do you will set aside the full use of that power and you will become instead as a weak human being. There's absolute strength in that. Just from the very beginning agreeing to be born a human being Strength manifests itself in different ways, doesn't it? You and I tend to think in terms of physical strength. In fact, I'll bet if you'd have been asked before this morning, who was the strongest man in the Bible? Guessing the Sunday school kids are all going to say Samson. Physically? Possibly. But in every other way, Samson was a profoundly weak Man. He was a man enslaved to his passions. A man unable to resist temptation. A man who allowed himself to be drawn into marriages with women who didn't share his faith. Who manipulated him. One of whom just left and the other caused his destruction. There's more to strength clearly than, than than biceps and quads. We have to look at different aspects to recognize. So the next aspect of Jesus' strength identified in our text is humility. But again, we don't tend to think in those terms, do we? We don't tend to look at humility as an example of, or an illustration of strength. From our text and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. True humility does not mean that you are weaker than or inferior to others. It means, as Jesus demonstrated, that a true demonstration of humility is to place yourselves beneath others and to dedicate yourself to the service of others. It takes tremendous strength. We talk about it in child raising in connection with young men who especially at some point, and to a certain extent young women, but young men at a certain point in their development, begin to recognize that they might be as strong or stronger than their mothers. And yet strength means that they still obey and honor their mothers. That's part of this whole concept of humility. When you place yourself, despite physical strength, under others, So pick any aspect of Jesus' person and life. And if you're not seeing strength there, you're not seeing clearly. Some are apparent, some are obvious. You can probably think of some. For example, strength was clearly evident when Jesus twice made whips and cleansed the temple, overturning the tables and driving out the criminal money changers. Yeah, we can recognize a strong Jesus there. We can recognize strength in Matthew 23 when he has that whole series of powerful woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and if you read that ever with sort of a milk toast, as old Jesus is just saying woe to you, you're reading it wrong. This is a powerful message of condemnation to Jesus' enemies to the godless. Those sorts of things are easy to identify. Many take wisdom and discernment. What strength it took simply for Jesus to wait 30 years before he began his earthly ministry, every moment of which had to be lived absolutely sinlessly. And yet it was the custom among the Jews to wait until you were 30 to begin a public ministry. So Jesus spent 30 years of sinlessness before he began his three-year ministry. What strength to bear patiently with the slow progress of even his chosen inner circle to deal so patiently over and over again with their faithlessness, with their treason, with their inability to look at simple Bible truths that he was conveying to them, doctrine, and just unable to see past, okay, now you're going to establish your kingdom here on earth? Now we get to rule? Now we get to be the greatest? What strength to just bear with. What strength to resist calling on those 12 legions of angels that his father would give to him. What strength to remain silent while others unjustly accused him. What strength to resist the temptation to come down from the cross and to silence the mouths of, of those who continued to taunt and torment him despite his hanging in agony on that tree. Strength is the basis of every attribute of our Savior. To the unbelieving eye, he was in all ways weak, unmanly. He advocated meekness, meekness which is just the hiding place of the weak, The strong don't need to be meek. He wasn't man enough to condemn to death a woman caught in the very act of adultery, as the law of Moses prescribed. He refused to man up and fight, even when his very life depended on it. He refused to seek manly revenge against his enemies. What happened to all those manly men in the passion story? All the godless, manly men? It's startling to look down through the list and to see the catastrophic failure of every single one of them. Pontius Pilate, the man who ultimately condemned the innocent Jesus to death. He went on to perpetrate other atrocities until even Rome got tired of him. And in 38, or he's recalled slightly before that, the Emperor Caligula banned him to exile. And in about 38 AD, he committed suicide, broken, despairing. The other governor, Herod, we read was struck down by God himself, eaten by worms, an extraordinarily painful death. Judas? We know what happened to Judas in utter despair. He ended his own life. What about the Jews that called for Jesus' execution, his crucifixion, or the Jewish rulers that cried out, His blood be on us and on our children. God gave them their wish. In 70 AD, the legions of Titus came, laid siege to Jerusalem, slaughtered its inhabitants, destroyed the city and the temple. Every single enemy of Jesus destroyed. Our old Adam needs to hear this, needs to hear this loud and clear. There is nothing weak about Jesus. To oppose Jesus, to reject him as Savior, brings condemnation and eternal damnation. Our text also alludes to this. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And yet our text also reveals what it's like, what the outcome is of recognizing the strength of Jesus and living as his ally. Because the end of the story is this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That's what you and I are supposed to take from Palm Sunday, both law and gospel, Law to oppose Christ is to die. It's to be rejected by God, and if not in this life, certainly in the eternity that will follow, to suffer death and eternal torment. There are no exceptions to that rule. But the gospel is that we here get this, this glimpse of Jesus as he now is and as he will come again. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That's the Jesus who now exists in heaven. That's that brief look that we get at Palm Sunday before that that final tortured week of Holy Week. We see him Glorified in heaven. All authority having been given to him. And we see that where he came the first time, his strength masked by his poverty and weakness. Then, there, we see no masks. All of the masks of humility and all these other things removed because then on the clouds with power and great glory, here on Palm Sunday a few shouts a few acclamations from children and others and then surrounded by the angels that deafening cacophony of praise and glory on the clouds with power and great glory no masks seeing clearly that's the savior that came to this earth that's the savior who was every bit as powerful as we will one day see him. That's the one to whom we petition now. That's the one who came and paid our sin debt. That's the one who was powerful enough, important enough, to carry all of our sins to the cross. The ultimate show of his strength. To carry the entire debt, the burden of our sin, every single one. Think on that, Savior, when you imagine that that sin that you've committed, your evil, your transgressions are too great for Jesus to have carried. Jesus was strong enough. Take this message with you. Take it home from this Palm Sunday day. Carry it with you. We ask simply that our God would help us to see our Savior as he was, as he is, and preserve in us that faith he has created, give us the strength to carry out our time of grace and in the end to join that throng that will welcome him at his return. Amen.